You know, one of the things, um, and I've talked about this before, but one of the reasons um, that I was hesitant to start a church in the very beginning was uh, simply because oftentimes when you kind of get that title of, of pastor, people immediately assume that all of a sudden you step into like the glory zone or something and you, and you never struggle with certain things. And uh, one of, that almost held me back from starting a church because I never wanted to create a church that had that kind of persona or perspective. It was like we had it all figured out. I don't know if you know this, but nothing is sure in this life. Um, there's many theologians and pastors will tell you with absolute certainty that they're absolute certain about particular things. Um, the only thing that I'm certain about in this life is my relationship with Jesus and that he is my only way to joy and peace. That's about the only thing that I'm certain about in this life. Um, everything else is pretty much up for grabs. So I don't know where you're at or what you're struggling with, but I want you to know that today we do um, the best that we can and we try as hard as we can to make this uh, a place where you can struggle and hopefully that you can safely struggle. Um, We strive to be a church. Man, if you've got issues, especially um, particularly depression or anxiety or you're just struggling with stuff, we want you to know that this is a place where hopefully God can meet you and you can find hope in the middle of the storm or whatever you're going through. Um, So I just want to throw that little caveat out there this morning. Wherever you're at, God is willing to meet you. Wherever you're at, no no matter where you're at in the journey, if you feel like you've taken 20 steps backwards, um, God is willing to go there with you and join you in the journey. So what I want to do this morning, um, this series can go so many different ways, and we can talk about so many different things. So I thought this morning I would just kind of give a highlight of everything that I kind of want to talk about, and then throughout the weeks I'll actually expound a little bit more in depth on some of those things. But really what I want to talk about this morning is some possible causes of depression, some things that could actually cause depression. And the reason I say possible causes is because obviously I'm not going to list all of them. Um, and, and sometimes it's not a definitive. It's maybe these, these things may not cause depression for you, but I think that these three things that I'm going to talk about this morning are some of the biggest factors. They're some of the biggest causes of depression. But before I get into that, Let's just kind of look at some statistics to kind of break the walls down if you feel like you're alone this morning. Because I think um, people that struggle with depression um, often feel like they are alone. They feel like they're the only ones uh, dealing with it. Or maybe it may not be depression. It may be anything, any kind of sin or any kind of struggle. But how many of you, just show of hands, have ever felt maybe you're the only one struggling with a particular thing? See, if you look around for a moment, you're not so crazy. (laughs) There's a lot of other people struggling probably with the same thing that you are. But I don't know if you know this or not, but depression actually affects 100 million people globally every year. 100 million people. You could fill the state of Louisiana about uh, a lot of times. I don't know how many. (laughs) A lot. 100 million people struggle with depression globally. And here's the thing about depression. Nobody is immune from it. Nobody. And and let me just break this stigma down for a moment. Just because you have given your heart to Jesus and your hope is placed in Christ does not mean that you will never struggle with depression. There is this um, common thing that we say throughout Christian churches that I think is so damaging so many times. Well, the reason you're depressed is because you don't have enough faith in Jesus. That's so damaging. The, the truth is, and I'm going to get into this a little later, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but nobody is immune from struggling with it. Nobody. Even if you've completely surrendered your life to Jesus, you're still susceptible to struggling with depression. Now, what we're going to do throughout this series to kind of frame it out and kind of guide us through it, because we, we believe the Bible is extremely important, and we pass every single sermon through it. So what I'm going to do through this is I'm going to use the Psalms as kind of a guideline um, for this series. Um, And so this morning, I'm going to use Psalms 42. But before I read it, let me just remind you guys of something. I haven't mentioned it in a few weeks, but it is always up there. Um, We are live. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can go ahead and pull that out. We have an event on that app. We're live right now, so all of the scriptures that I'm going to read, all of the notes that you'll see on the screen, they're actually on the app. All you have to do is the iPhone will literally pick up your location. Just click on events on that app, and you'll see Our Savior's Church Crowley, and uh, you'll see an event that says Sound of Silence. Just click on it, and you can follow along with me. You'll be able to see all the points. You can edit it. You can make your own notes, 
all that kind of stuff. Um, if you have AT&T, good luck getting reception in here. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, it is always live on there for you guys that like to take notes and like to follow along. So why the Psalms? Why are we using the Psalms um, to, to, to talk about depression? Because um, the Psalms are just about probably the realest, realist book. I don't even know if that makes sense grammatically. It probably doesn't. But um, it's just the most raw book in the Bible. The thing that I love about the Psalms, and I've said this before, but there's never a single attempt in the Psalms to just like polish up reality. The Psalms is not like Facebook or Instagram. I don't know if you know this, but on Facebook and Instagram, everybody puts their first step forward, right? (laughs) Their best step forward, like check out this steak. Nobody's ever like, man, check out this crappy tuna sandwich I just made, you know, and then posts it on Facebook or Instagram. We're always putting our best step forward on social media, but the thing that I love about the Psalms is there's never an attempt to do any of that. It's just like, here's my life, here's what I'm dealing with, here's what I'm walking through, here's the anxiety, here's the depression, here's the hopelessness, here's the despair I feel, and just I'm going to let it out all in words. And I don't know if you know this or if you realize this or not, but the Psalms actually mean song, And so these were not only psalms that are written in the Bible, but these were like the worship songs back in the day. These were songs that the congregation would sing aloud. And the thing that I love about the psalms is they just depict real life so well. And what I mean by that is in life, if you've lived long enough, which everybody in here has, if you've lived long enough, you're going to know that life is not always smooth sailing, is it? And even if you find yourself committed and surrendered to Jesus, it's not always an easy path. Life is not always peaches and cream. There are just times in life where it's difficult, where it's hard, where unexpected twists come your way and you don't know what to do. And this is why I love the Psalms. So let's dive in. Psalms 42. If you got the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along. If you don't, you can follow me on the screens. We're going to read the whole thing and then we'll kind of break it up bit by bit. Okay, so verse 1. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil with me? In God, for shall I again praise him, my salvation and my God? My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon with Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of waterfalls, all your beakers and before me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and by night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, listen to this, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 11, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So I know that's a lot to read all at one time. So we're going to break it down verse by verse, piece by piece, and hopefully make some sense of all of it. But Psalms 42 um, is about a man, the psalmist, who is wrestling with his own soul. Like he has this inner turmoil inside of him. He's legitimately wrestling with something. The psalm doesn't allude to what he's wrestling with, but there's something going on, a stress, a strain in his life. It could be a relationship thing. It could be finance. Whatever it is, there is this deep inner struggle that he's dealing with. Watch Psalms 42.1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, let me describe this metaphor for you real quick. And the metaphor is this, and this is not original to me. I read this, and I thought it was really good, so I was going to apply it to the sermon. But the metaphor, I think oftentimes when we read it, we see this deer who is going to this, you know, this river or whatever, and he's drinking from this water, and he quenches his thirst whenever he drinks from the water. But the metaphor is of a deer that is dying of thirst, goes to the familiar water brook only to find they've run dry. So here's what depression looks like. This is what it looks like. 
you're going back to the source that you've always gone to to attain joy again. You're going back to the same source. So maybe you're running to community. Maybe you're running to the church. And maybe at times in your life, you have found joy and peace in those moments when you run to those things. But here's what the psalmist is saying. I'm running to the same things that has always brought me peace and joy, and I'm still running empty. I'm still extremely thirsty. I'm going back to the water hole, but there's nothing there for me to drink anymore. And this is what depression looks like. I'm doing everything that I know how to do. I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm in church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm attending life group, I'm in community, and I still feel, ugh. At the end of the day, the psalmist is saying, this is depression. Pay careful attention to what verse 2 illustrates. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So here's what the psalmist is saying. He's dying, longing, and seeking for God, but he can't find him. I'm so thirsty, and I'm going to the place that has always brought me drink, and God's not giving me any water. And I'm dying for thirst. The psalmist in this text has lost something. What has he lost? Ultimately, he's lost the tangible presence of the Lord. He's lost being able to feel and connect with God anymore, so he feels like God is absent. I think there's nothing more disappointing in our lives when we're giving everything that we have to pursue God and we want to be in his presence, but we come up with his absence. It's depressing, isn't it? And that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, God, I'm pursuing you. I'm doing everything that I know how to do. He's saying the things that used to stir my affections for you, they don't stir my affections anymore. The things that used to make me feel joyful and glad, the things that used to make me feel safe and secure, they no longer resonate with me. So here's the thing. It's, it's important to note, the psalmist has not lost his belief in God. He's lost his feel of God. So he's saying, God, I still believe in you. I know you're there, but I don't feel you. I feel like you're absent. I feel like you have forgotten me. I feel like you're tending to everybody else, but I'm just here alone and you have forgotten me. So why is it such a big deal that he, does, that he doesn't feel God? Because the whole Christian faith is built upon God's presence, isn't it? It's that time when, man, you're by yourself and you're worshiping, or maybe you're just by yourself praying, or you're simply just by yourself out in nature, and you feel God's presence. There's something about it that says, okay, God is with me, and I can continue another day. I can keep on going, but the psalmist is saying, I'm doing everything that I know how to do, and I have not felt the presence of the Lord for years, for days on end. Psalms 42 ultimately is a lament song. It's a psalm that expresses grief and despair. And let me just talk about that for a moment. There's 151 psalms all throughout the Bible, and out of those songs, he gave us 67 of them that are laments. So meaning this, there's 67 psalms where people are just screaming out to God, where are you? I think there's something to take note in that. I think what God is trying to do throughout the psalms, he's trying to make us realize that sometimes this is just real life. I want you to prepare for the realities that life brings. You know, um, contrary to maybe what you have been taught or told and what is schooled into us, especially within TV preachers and, and all these kind of things, and I'm not here to dog anybody, but oftentimes there is this brand of Christianity that says if you commit your life to Jesus, that everything will be perfect from then on out. You will prosper, and you will be amazing, and God will always just meet every single one of your needs. And the truth is, that's not reality, is it? Look at Jesus. He was the perfect son of God, and he, he experienced the most gruesome things on earth. The only one that was perfect experienced some dark nights of the soul. So if Jesus went through depressing moments, I'm pretty sure that you will. <laughs> so don't buy into this brand of Christianity that is saying, like, man, you submit and surrender your life to Jesus, and then, man, you are just going to eat cake the rest of your life and worship Jesus all you know, all day long. It's just not, that's not reality. Because all throughout life, there's bumps in the road. I say this all the time, but you could be having the greatest day of your life and one phone call could change everything for you. One phone call, one text message could change your life forever. 
See, God wants us to know that in this life that there will be grief, there will be despair, there will be difficult times, and he gives us these lament psalms. Why? Because he loves us, and he wants us to prepare for those times. So that when you do go through the grievous times, when you do go through the hard times, that yes, you may not feel God for a season or for a moment, but you rest assured on the fact that, man, I know he's with me. I hold on to the truth. I may not feel him in this moment, in this season of my life, but I'm holding on to the things and the moments when I did feel him and the times when I did hear his voice. I'm holding on to those things. So let's talk about some possible causes for depression. Now, yet again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not something that's going to fix everything in your life, okay? Um, But I can tell you this. The first one, the first cause that we're going to talk about, it is actually, if this is what's causing your depression, you can walk out of these doors completely depression-free today. That's a guarantee. I'm not saying that it will be easy, (laughs) but it will be true. So the first cause of depression. The first cause of depression is caused by sin. Depression can be directly related to undealt with sin. Now listen to what King David said about his undealt with sin. This is in Psalm 32.3. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up in the heat of summer. Now let me be specific about this. What I'm talking about is undealt with sin. Sin that you know is holding you back and that you need to make right, but because of fear you don't confess it. That's what I'm talking about. We're all going to have little things that we fail at and do. Okay, I'm talking about undealt with sin. Things that you know is just wrong. Every time that you get before the Lord and you pray and you ask God, you know, maybe for a certain thing in your life, and it's that one thing that he constantly reminds you of. It's that thing. What David is saying, man, when I held on to that thing because of fear, my bones begin to waste away. I know this feeling all too well. I've done it myself. Because of fear, hold on to something. Because if I confess this, what is somebody going to think of me? And you can feel that even in your body. You know that nervous, like we talked about last week, that nervous pit that you get in your stomach. That heaviness that you feel on your shoulders, those headaches at night. That's you holding on to something. And David is saying, man, my bones are wasting away. I'm drying up. I've got nothing left. It's undealt with sin. Ultimately, his soul was in turmoil because of the sin in his life, and this can lead us to a state of depression. So what would be the cure to that? Well, let's see what David says in 32 verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Now, this is, this is important right here. This is very important because here's, here's what we like to do, especially in Christian circles, and we get around our life groups and our communities. We're like, yeah, so I mean, I struggle. Well, with what? Like lust. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. When, when, when that word iniquity comes up, David says, this is what I struggle with, and this is what I did. I did this, I'm ashamed of this, and I'm ashamed of this. Until you confess absolutely everything, you're still going to hold on to that. That guilt and shame is still going to attach itself to your soul. But as soon as you confess everything, your intentions, your motives, my plan in this sin was to do this, this, and this, and this. It says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and I love this, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, the truth is, if you're going through a dark night of the soul, if you find yourself just like David, where your bones are wasting away, and you can relate it to an undealt with sin, you can ask God for forgiveness. You can find healthy community and other believers that will love you and walk you through things. This is why life groups are so important. You can confess it to them, and guess what? You can be free. That depression will leave you in a moment. I remember, I remember in Bible college, I, I, it took me a long, long, long time to be comfortable talking about my struggles with other people. I just didn't like to do it. And I'm, I, I'm pretty sure most of you are like, nobody likes, hey, I failed. <laughs> just want to let you know. Nobody, nobody likes that. Nobody enjoys confessing their failures or their shortcomings. But I still remember it so vividly. I'm sitting in an office with a man that finally I, I trusted. And remember, I just began to confess things. And I remember in that moment, it was literally like I just felt the Holy Spirit just lift things off my back. And I walked out of there and I'm like, oh my God. 
why didn't I do this five years ago? Like, I, I, I was the cause for my own soul wasting away because I held on to sin because I did not want to confess it due to fear. So the solution is simple. If this is what's causing your depression, you need to confess to God and the people that he has put in your life. Now let me stress, it's important that you confess to the right people. We talked about this last week um, with Miss Jennifer. You don't just confess to people that are going to add more fuel to your fire. (laughs) So man, if you're struggling in a relationship and you go to another girlfriend who's struggling in a relationship, she's like, oh yeah, shoot him, shoot him. (laughs) And you're like, oh yeah, I'm getting home, I'm murdering him, son. We don't, we don't need that. That's not healthy. That's not community. That's gossip. So this is, this is why, some of you may get sick and tired of it, but this is why we push life groups so heavy and so much. Because we're creating safe environments with the right people who will lovingly look at you in the eyes and point out sin in your life. And they're not just going to add fuel to your fire. They're going to lovingly walk you through the process. Man, here's what you need to do. And they may not know, but sometimes it's just, hey, I'll be with you through the process. I'll pray with you. I'll cry with you. I'll hold your hand through this process, and we'll figure it out together. The right people are so important. So if you're dealing with a sin that is causing your depression, you've got to confess, you've got to repent, and you've got to turn away, and guess what? You get freedom. And that depression leaves, and it goes away. Now, the second cause is um, a little bit more elusive, and I'm going I'm to explain it. But the second cause is this. It's caused in the midst of obedience. It's caused in the midst of obedience. So what do I mean by that? Some of you are legitimately depressed, but you're not holding on to any particular sin. You're legitimately depressed, and you can't put your finger on it. You don't know why. You're like, okay, I'm, as I'm, maybe as I brought up the first point, you're literally evaluating some of the things in your life, and you're going, man, I don't know of anything that I'm just holding on to. There's no particular sin listed in Psalms 42, so this shows us that depression can happen even without sin in our lives. And sometimes it can happen not because of our sin, but because of our obedience. And let me explain that. It is possible for someone to be extremely thirsty for God, to seek God's will, and yet go through deep turmoil in the soul. So so let's play this out, okay? Let's say you are doing everything that you can to pursue Jesus. And then one day your wife gets up and she says, hey, I'm done. I'm done, it's over. Now, in that moment, what happens? Wait, hold on. (laughs) I, I haven't done anything like that, that I know of or that I'm holding on to, but all of a sudden, circumstantially, you were in the relationship to say, I'm, I'm going to stay committed to this, but all of a sudden, somebody else saying they're out. So what does that do? That can cause depression. Or maybe it, it, it happens a different way. Maybe it's something like all of a sudden, you're walking through a particular thing, and you want to do the right thing, in your job and you want to be ethical and all of a sudden you have a boss that's asking you to cut corners to make a higher profit and you say, no, I, I got to do this. He say, if you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. And you hold to your ethics and to your morals and you get fired in the midst of your obedience and now you're jobless for the next month or two. So in the midst of obedience at times, sometimes we can still deal with depression. It's possible for somebody to completely be walking in God's will and still deal with depression. Some of the greatest men that ever walked the face of the earth that advanced the gospel dealt with depression. Men like Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was one of the great Baptist preachers. He actually had the first mega church. The dude had a mega church in like the 19th or 18th, no, 19th century. He had 10,000 people with no microphone. Imagine that. They say that he, he would preach about six, seven to eight services on a Sunday because there were so many people, and he had to yell so loud that by the time he was done preaching, they had to carry him off stage because he had no strength left. 
in the middle of his obedience to advancing the gospel, this was a man who was constantly criticized and accused of things. Because he was 28 years old, he was successful, he had a huge church, and everybody was out to get him. And he even talks about, man, there was a time in my life where I, I was doing everything to try to just ban the critics and the newspapers and all this kind of stuff from writing nasty stuff about me that it just overtook me. It consumed me. And he fell into a deep depression. Martin Luther, the man who nailed the 99 Thesis onto the door of the church, started the Protestant Reformation. If you sit in a Protestant church today, Martin Luther has his fingerprint on it. Martin Luther, who led the Protestant Reformation, literally dealt with depression so deep. And I want to read an excerpt from one of his, a book about a historian that's actually describing Martin Luther. And it says this. It says, historian David describes the terror with which Luther experienced at times as a fear that God had turned his back on him once and for all, abandoning him to suffer the pains of hell, feeling alone in the universe. Luther doubted his own faith, his own mission, and the goodness of God. Doubts which, because they verged on blasphemy, drove him to deeper and deeper despair. His prayers met a wall of indifferent silence. He experienced heart palpitations, crying spells, and profuse sweat. He was convinced that he would die soon and go straight to hell. For more than a, This is Martin Luther talking. He says, For more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my members. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy to God. Wow. This is a man who literally was led by the Holy Spirit to move the church in a completely different direction and has a moment in his life or a season in his life where he's saying, God's left me. He said, my, I'm praying and my prayers are hitting a wall and I'm getting silence. He, there was a moment in his life where he was absolutely convinced that God hated him. He was so convinced of it that he used to, um, when he would sin, when he would fall short, a lot of the a practice that a lot of the, the monks would do back then is when they would sin to pay penance for their sin, is they would go into a room and they would get a whip that had shards of metal and glass in it and they would whip themselves to pay penance. And he would do that. Like he still struggled deeply. Like, does God really forgive me for what I've done? If I'm just being brutally honest with you, um, three, almost three years ago when we started this church, I can honestly say that I never dealt with depression in my life. I never tasted the sting of depression. I never knew what it felt like. And when we started this church, I certainly felt what it felt like. Because I don't know if you know anything about church planting or leading a church, but there are extremely high highs and really low lows. And there, there, there are times when you're loving people and you're pushing forward and you feel like the vision is advancing and other times when you feel like you're hurting cats and nobody gets it. <laughs> or there's times when you feel like you're giving your life and sacrificing things in your family to serve and love people and instead of people encouraging you, they criticize you. I've had seasons where I walk through months where I feel like, man, I don't know if, if I'm the one that God's called to do this. I've had days where I, I want to quit. And you can ask my wife. I mean, I quit almost every Monday. I'm done. <laughs> Sometimes in the midst of your obedience, you will struggle with depression. And it's because you're only doing the right thing. And, and the truth is, when you're doing the right thing, people don't like it. They're going to do everything to discredit you, to destroy you, to spread things about you. But in the midst of it, of you seeking God and you doing his will, if you buy into the theology just because you are following God's path that you will never suffer and you will never go through hard times, you're missing it. You're completely missing it. My wife and I knew when we signed up for this, I've watched my dad in ministry for years. I have so much respect for my parents. I used to, I was the one on the other side, like, man, just, dad, like, just quit. 
Just like, man, you're serving people and they are just tearing you apart. Just give it up. Like in my younger days, I mean, I'd have been like, people would have came to me for counsel and I'd be like, I don't know. I mean, you should, you probably do need to go to hell. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's how you feel sometimes. That's a joke, okay? <laughs> um, but in the end, you have to, you have to buy into this. And, and, and here's the truth. Even in your obedience, when you are suffering through things, here's the joy that you get in it. You are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. You share in the very things that he went through and the very things that he dealt with. Sometimes instead of God rewarding you for your obedience, you may feel like he is punishing you. In Psalms 42 verse 9 it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy as with a deadly wound in my bones? My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? I love that part. So it doesn't go just like the psalmist is not just being obedient, but now his friends are going, give it up. Where's your God now? You're still struggling. He hasn't met your need. Maybe you're trying to honor God with your obedience. Maybe you're trying to do everything that you know to do. Maybe there's not some kind of hidden sin in your life. But here's the truth. I want you to know one thing. The greatest saints in the world went through some of the darkest struggles of depression. Jesus himself experienced the dark night of the soul, not because of sin, but rather because of obedience. I mean, Jesus, the night before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he was under so much stress and so much strain. There was so much weight upon him. It says that his body sweated blood. Think about the intensity of that for a moment. Think about how intense it was that, that Jesus, God, the one that created the universe, you and me needed the created, the angels, to come down from heaven and encourage him. That's pretty low. But it says two angels come down from heaven and they begin to lift him up. They begin to encourage him. See, sometimes God uses depression in our life so that we would know Jesus better. So you would know him by sharing in his sufferings. Number three, the third cause. And I'm going well, to spend a little bit of time on this one because I think that this one um, oftentimes is not talked about enough, specifically within the context of the church. Number three, it's caused by the physical. So Psalms 42, 3 says this, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a doctor who ended up turning into a preacher, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And he identifies this verse as symptoms of clinical depression. So we see in the Psalms right here in, in verse 42 that the psalmist is not eating. He has no appetite. He's not sleeping. There is something physical going on. And here's the truth. As Christians, we have the tendency to reduce everything to be spiritual. Like everything is spiritual. So if you're going through depression, somebody will tell you, well, you just need to pray more. If you're going through a dark night of the soul, hey, you just need to have more faith in God. If you miss out a parking spot in Walmart, somebody's like, well, you didn't pray hard enough. Like everything is not spiritual. When man fell in the garden, all of man fell. So Genesis chapter three, when we bit the fruit, and God cursed the ground, it was not just our souls and our spirits that fell, but our physiology fell as well. So here's what this means. Chemicals that ought to be in balance are no longer in balance anymore. The whole of man fell in this moment. So let me talk about two different things. The truth is God gives us common grace. So what does that mean? When you're sick, you go to the doctor, right? Now, that's God's common grace. He has given men and women the wisdom to think of the medication that you may need to treat your symptom, right? 
Now, if you're in a terminally ill disease, there's still common grace that can prevent the, the de- disease and can slow it down. But then there's also gospel grace where you're saying, God, if I don't get a miracle, the medicine is not working. I need a healing in this. And then there is times that God does heal us, and that is a complete miraculous miracle, and that's God stepping in and intervening. But there's also common grace. And let's talk about that for just a moment. As I said, when the whole of man fell, our physiology fell as well. So there may be chemicals in our head that are imbalanced. So let me just kind of debunk this taboo that we have in the church sometimes. Why is it that if you have heart palpitations, nobody has a problem taking a pill for that? If your kidney is not functioning right, you have no problem taking medication for that. But all of a sudden, within the context of a church, if your brain is not functioning, we put a stigma saying, if you take a pill for your brain, you just don't have enough faith in God. And there's this stigma that we put on it. We say, well, the reason that you're struggling is because you you're not spiritual enough. You're not praying enough. You're not in God's presence enough. See, when the whole of man fell, everything fell. Now, let me give it to some context Depression is always a spiritual issue, but it may not always just be a spiritual issue. So here's what I mean by this. There's the common grace of medication, but then there's special grace of the gospel to lift our souls from depression. So here's what I mean. If you're taking prescribed antidepressants, you don't have to feel like you're not trusting God enough and you don't have enough faith. And that's God's common grace over your life. That God gave doctors and other men and women the wisdom to look at things in your physiology and say, hey, this may help you. But at the same time, hear me on this. Because some some people are going to take what I say completely out of context and just take this as a license to pop pills. That's not what I'm saying. If you're on medication, don't treat the medication as your savior is what I'm saying. In the end, it's just a means to an end. Ms. Jennifer says it like this all the time. Sometimes she treats clients that are so depressed that the only way that I'm ever going to get through to them is put them on medication first so that they can be of sound mind, so that I can have a reasonable conversation with them, so they can see clearly. And we walk through that for a few months, and we walk through issues in their past, and we allow God to begin healing them and restoring them, and we slowly pull them off of that medication because we know the medication is not the fix. It's just the common grace that we need in that moment to get us to the place where ultimately God wants us to be. But, but sometimes, often, this is where addiction can string in, and this is where we can live a lifetime of depression, where we're just saying, medication is not working. The medication was never designed to be your savior. It was never designed to, to fix the problem. At the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that is going to set us free. He's the only one that is going to lift our souls from depression and despair. So if at all possible... Seek the wisdom of a Christ-centered, Bible-saturated counselor or doctor or whatever you need to get you through these seasons of life. Now, so we talked about three different things that cause depression. It could be sin, it could simply be obedience, it could be physical. So let's real quickly go through some biblical cures for depression. What does the Bible actually say about depression? What do the psalmists actually say about depression? How do we deal with it? Number one, It may seem so simple, but it's so important. Number one, actively remember. So here's what this means. During the times that we don't feel God, we have to remember that it was not always this way. Life was not always like this. We have to remember the times we have felt his his presence and our souls were filled with joy and we cling to those moments. We have to actively remember Remember, and you see it in Psalms 42, verse 4. It says, The things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in, in procession. Here, here's what he's saying in that. It's an old word we don't use anymore. Here's what he's saying. I remember the times that I was filled with joy when I would walk into the church and I would lead people in worship and people would respond. That's what he's saying in that moment. I remember the joy of that moment of being in connection with other people and us worshiping God together. Those thoughts and memories of God providing for you in the past, listen to me, those are weapons for the future. Those are you going, man, God provided for me before so he can still do it again. He gave me joy in that season when I was so low and I may be low right now, but he's going to do it again. 
It's not like God has changed. He may be silent for a moment. We may not hear him right now, but he has not changed. It means when God gives you the grace, it may just be one day in your long year of depression, but when God gives you the grace to tap into that joy, that you tap into it, and you use it as fuel to propel you to the next season. Number two. This is so important. Number two, preach to yourself. This is what, what did the psalmist do in verse 42, verse 5? He's asking a question to himself. How many of you guys talk to yourself? Anybody? I talk to myself regularly. Um, I sit in Walmart talking to myself, and I kind of try to play it off like I have Bluetooth in, but I don't. <laughs> I'm just holding a conversation with myself. It's quite interesting, actually. Psalms 42 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Who's he talking to? Himself. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. Now he's preaching to himself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and I thought it was so applicable to what we're talking about today. He said this, have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? How many of you guys, and this is how depression can often be described many, many times, that you're just in your head too much? It's often talked, oftentimes when I sit down and talk with people and we try to, you know, put some flesh on depression, well, what does that look like? What, what are you going through? It's often like, man, I just can't get out of my head. I just got all these thoughts racing around. I lay my head on the pillow. I can't relax. It's just circulating and circulating and circulating. You could get 12 hours of rest and still wake up in the morning and feel exhausted because your mind is just going and going and going and going. The truth is it's because you're listening to yourself rather than preaching to yourself. See, throughout the day, we're listening to the endless thoughts of our internal selves, thoughts that say, man, God, where are you? You start buying into the lie, well, maybe he has forgotten me. Maybe what I did last week was really just too horrible for God to forgive. (laughs) And we start listening to that inner voice over and over and over and over again, and it gets louder and louder and louder until it's the only thing that we can hear. See, here's the truth. Sometimes God's not silent. Our own voice is just louder than his, that we can't hear him. He's not silent. He's been talking all along, and we just don't know how to listen. We don't know how to hear him because our voice has gotten so loud. Our own voice constantly speaks lies. We have to remember it's so important to preach to ourselves. Preaching to ourselves the truth. Hey, God promised to me in his word that he would never leave me. God promised no matter how big the chasm is or how big the space is between me and him that he's not going anywhere. God promised that he's going to meet me in my pain. There's a a psalm that we'll actually talk about, I think in week three, but it actually mentions, it says, when you are the most broken, that is when God is the nearest. So when God is the closest to you, when, when you really are just down and you're so broken and you feel like you have nothing left, that that is your opportunity for God to be the closest. The only reason we can't hear him is because we're listening to ourselves too much. So I want to I kind of bring this to a close by pointing something out in um, 42 verse 5. It says, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? And then watch this, he says... Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Now watch this. This is is huge. This is important. He doesn't say that he's praising him right now. That's to live in denial. So here's not what I'm saying to you today. Hey, now you got some possible causes. Walk out of this room and just praise Jesus. That's to live in denial. He doesn't say that he's praising him right now. He doesn't say that he'll never praise him again. That is completely to surrender to depression. Here's what he says. For I shall again praise him. He's saying there's coming a day when I will praise him again. 
So what he's going through is real. What he's going through is intense. What he's going through is heavy. But he's buying into the thought that there will come a day where I will get out of this. Christians, that's what we're always looking forward to. That there will come a day when all of this pain, all of this suffering, all the turmoil, all the things in my life will one day dissipate and go away. One day when I am with Jesus. See, we have a Savior who went through the darkest night of the soul and he made it through so it means that we can do the same. Listen, Jesus knows exactly what you're suffering through right now. He does. He knows exactly what you're going through in this moment. It is the whole reason that he came down in the form of a human so that he could experience what we experience. He felt temptation. He felt the pull to sin. He felt the pull to darkness and depression. He felt the pull to hopelessness. He felt it all. And listen, I understand this. Some of you, depression is seasonal. Some of you might go through it and it's for a week. And eventually you come to your senses and you realize, okay, I can't hold on to this and you work through it. Some of you might just be a horrible day and it's just a depressing day. And you wake up in the morning and it's fine. But listen, I know for some of you this has been a lifelong battle. For some of you, this is all you've ever known. For some of you, this is maybe since you were a child. You don't even know how to shake it. You don't know what is wrong. And you may ask the question, is there something wrong with me? Like, is there just something like, did I just get broken in the mold? Did God forget something? Is there like a chip in my brain that he just left out? Listen, God is a very intentional creator and every single piece that he makes is on purpose. He didn't make a mistake when he formed you. See, if if you've dealt with depression your entire life, here's what I want you to understand. Your hope is not in how you feel right now. Your hope is in a God who has felt everything that you've felt. Your hope is in a God who desperately loves you. Your hope is in a God who will one day wipe away every tear from your eye and you will find yourself in a glorified mind and body and motions and everything will be made right and everything will make sense again. If you struggle with chronic depression, you can know this, that you can share with Jesus and his sufferings. Could it be that you struggle with this because maybe it's a tool that God is using to bring you closer to himself? It's not an easy one. God, why couldn't you have picked something else? (laughs) I don't like this tool. (laughs) See, our hope is in God. If you struggle with depression, our hope is in that one day I will praise him again. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be a week from now. But I want to encourage you to do one thing. If you're struggling with depression, one, I want to encourage you. Man, if you're not in a life group or you don't attend church regularly, I want to encourage you to consistently show up. Because I find in depression, you can get so lost in your own thoughts that you move yourself into isolation and you buy into the lie that nobody cares about you and nobody knows what you're struggling about and and it begins to circulate and you get in your head so much and you're absolutely convinced that nobody's thinking about you, caring about you, nothing. But the truth is, the moment that you just, you may have to force yourself. You may have to, I don't know, you may have to do some like weird psychology on yourself. All right, on the count of five, I'm getting out of bed. One, two, three, four, five. Didn't move. One, two, three, four, five. I am getting out of this bed. And, and you know what that does? It may sound silly. It may sound like it's not a, a whole lot, but you just consistently show up. It's you saying, okay, God, I am ready to finally beat this. I want to be around community. I want to be around people. I want to be around the people that can help me, that can push me to the next level. I need to be around healthy influences. So you never really know how much you're truly loved until you just show up. Sometimes all you need to do is just show up. (laughs) Allow God to speak to you. 
allow God to minister to you. Listen, if you're in here today and you're struggling with this, it's been a lifelong struggle with you, there's no expectation that we place on you. Man, sit in here for a year if you need to. There's no expectation to serve. There's no expectation to do anything else. If you just need God to heal you up and that's all you need, then do that. Do that. I sat with a guy the other day, him and his wife, amazing couple. He said, man, we, we've been in the church for a year and he said, I know we don't serve anywhere or anything, but he said, you don't know how transformative this has been for us. He said, we've sat a year and God has just healed wounds in us. And, and if that's what God needs to do in you, like just let that be. We want to serve you. We want to love you. We want to help you walk through that process because the truth is none of us in here are immune to, immune to the very thing that you're walking through right now. We're all susceptible to it. There's not like a certain piece of Christianity that we tap into. We go, okay, that will, I'll never deal with this again. We never arrive. Well, we do. It's called death. <laughs> and it's over and we meet Jesus face to face and everything finally makes sense. Listen, I just want to encourage you, please don't slip into isolation. Don't slip into isolation. All it does is add fuel to the fire of depression and it becomes a longer spider web to untangle. So throughout this um, series, we're going to be asking some really, really hard questions. We're going to be talking about some really, really hard things. Uh, Look, and I know that this is not like your um, uh, particular like coffee cup sermon verse. (laughs) Like, yes, I feel amazing after this. Um, I know it's not like that. And to be honest with you, it's designed not to be. Because the truth is, is, as a pastor, I want to give you the full experience of what a relationship with Jesus is like. And look, I can get up here and hype you up every single time. And you can walk out of here and feel amazing every single time. But the truth is, that's not the reality of life, is it? My job is to help pastor you through the realities of life. That there are just going to be roads in life that are difficult sometimes. You don't know what to do. And I want you to know that there is a book and there is a God that understands everything that you've walked through. And go, I, I encourage you to do this today. Pick up the Bible, start reading through the Psalms and read it in the message version. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. And, and I promise you, you begin to see yourself on every single page. Men and women just like you that cried out to God, God, where are you? You've left me. That felt like they were hopeless. That felt like their lives were over. <laughs> 